You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Friday, July 9th. Here we are, the second half of 2021, and no better way to celebrate and start the second half of this year and of this podcast calendar year than with an amazing guest. We are going to introduce Jim Tincher in just a second. Many of you mostly, most likely know who Jim Tincher is. And if you haven't read his book, read his book. God love you. Please read this book. Um, we're going to get to that in just a second. Uh, I am Neil Toff, co-host and co-creator of Fireside Chats Without the Fires, a CX podcast joined by Paul Catherall, my co-host and co-creator, uh, and the brains behind this operation. Paul, it is Friday. We are recording back on Friday. We, we've recorded on so many non-Fridays recently. It's, it's great to actually have a Friday session again. I think I know how you're feeling, but you might as well always, as you do, share it with the audience. Today, you are? I am buzzing, Neil. It's Fireside Chats Friday, right? What I am buzzing. This is great to have uh, Jim back on. I know we did a, a, a very short podcast uh, probably about what two or three months ago now but to be able to talk to Jim in a lot more detail about something close to his heart I'm very very excited about so yeah and also for the viewers out there that are watching this on video Jim is our first guest who is using the official fireside chats background Jim thank you so so much my friend We just lost Jim's audio for yeah. There, Jim, yeah. just uh, say something until we make sure we hear you. No, we lost Jim's audio for just a second. We're gonna let him figure it out, or Paul and Jim are gonna figure that out in a second. I'm gonna ad lib here. Here's where I get to creatively ad lib and make sure that you audience take, All right, take turn with us. There Fantastic. we go. Fantastic. About that, I uh, bumped my microphone as I was getting ready to respond. But anyway, happy to have the background. You bet. You asked. I've got it. We're ready to go. And now we have audio and video at the same time. I know. Amazing. <laughs> Love. We have audio. We have video. We have a background. We have a foreground. We we got everything going. There. This, this is great. I'm going to Jim. I, I like to introduce uh, first the the, the title of our session today, and I'm going to introduce you because if I didn't do so, I feel I would be. Uh, unfair to you. Uh, I want the audience to make sure they know who they're getting themselves into and what they're going to be listening to and whom they're going to be listening to. So here we go. Um, the title of today's session, we are creatively borrowing this uh, from Jim's most recent article and post uh, or blog on, on, um, that he shared on LinkedIn. And the title of the post is, Why Do Bonuses for NPS Scores Seem Wise. By the way, seem has two asterisks at the beginning at the end. So emphasis on seem wise, and that's a question mark. Why do bonuses for NPS scores seem wise? And uh, for those of you that don't yet know Jim, Jim is the journey mapper in chief, customer experience expert, and author of How Hard Is It to Be Your Customer? Using journey mapping to drive customer focused change. Um, we are going to uh, hopefully invite Jim back for another session in which we will talk about journey mapping because he is a well-known and recognized expert in, on the topic. Um, we're not going to talk about that necessarily today. We're gonna to talk about his, his recent post. Um, a couple interesting facts about, uh, about Jim. Uh, he is from the great state of Minnesota. We have had many 
uh, guests from the great state of Minnesota. I was just saying this before. Uh, don't know what are in what's in the waters of those 10,000 lakes there, but there's something great that really inspires great CX work, and uh, Jim certainly embodies that. Jim, it's, it's really nice to have you here as a guest from the state of Minnesota, but also, of course, um, as a author, thought leader, and contributor to to our field. Formally, thank you for joining us, and welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Been looking forward to it, and uh, you know. Minnesota's a great place uh, for CX. We do have a lot going on up here. Maybe it's because we have to spend a big chunk of the time indoors. And uh, as it gets colder, we, all we have to do is think about CX. I don't know. But uh, I know there's a lot of folks up here. We have a very active CX community. And so happy to represent. Awesome. Super to have you. So let, let's jump right into um, into you know your article. Uh, I call it an article. Maybe I'm, I'm showing my age by calling it an article. I think maybe a post is maybe it's a better word, but it's it's it's, it's a, a great piece of content that I will selfishly say is relevant because it it's what I experience in my work every day managing a contact center. Um, mm -hmm. We have employees. By the way, we are we are a BPO, so we work on behalf of large organizations, large companies, and so typically a client company will come to us and say, oh, you know, it's really important for us. Uh, we want to uh, emphasize and make sure that we get great NPS scores. Or you could fill in the blank. We want to emphasize fill in the blank. Could be CSAT. It could be uh, first contact resolution. It could, whatever it is. But oftentimes it's NPS. And we think, oh, you know, we're going to outsmart. We're going we're gonna to game the system. We're going to win this thing. And we're going to incentivize our employees. Because if we incentivize our employees, we're going to get those scores higher and higher and higher. But as I read your post, maybe the thinking of that is absolutely flawed. And I think that's what you're talking about. Am I on the right path here? Is, 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 have I expressed it correctly? Oh, yeah, you certainly have. It's, it's a common tactic used by, you know, I don't know. I haven't done anything scientifically to know what percentage. I'd love to know the answer. But to me, it seems like most companies... Uh, that focus on customer experience decide that one of the great things to do then is to incent on the customer experience being better as determined by a net promoter score, a customer satisfaction score, something like that. So it does seem to be very common. And what I was sitting around thinking, actually, I talked to a client who was looking to put in a system such as this. And uh, I said, that's a, that's a bad idea. And he said, why? Everybody's doing it. Why is it so bad? And I had answers, but I had no data in terms of, well, why is it? Because if you look at almost any thought leader in the space, myself included, we all say, yeah, incentivizing for a high level CX score is a horrible idea. And a lot of times, I mean, you can't have that argument without mentioning used car salespeople, but you know, it comes up as gaming is one of them there, but the, he pushed back and said, so if it's such a bad idea, why are so many companies doing it? And that got me thinking, well, well that's a very good question. And what I didn't have an easy answer on, but why is it that so many thought leaders say it's a horrible idea, yet so many are doing it? And if it's as awful as we thought leaders say it is, why are these companies still thriving, even if they are incentivizing for net promoter scores? We'll just use that as an example. It could be lots of different things. And that's what got me thinking. And so I did post on LinkedIn a few weeks ago asking, you know, I tagged a number of thought leaders. Unfortunately, most of the thought leaders didn't go after my exact question, which is why is there this discrepancy? They use it instead as a chance to talk about their personal belief. And, you know, and, and but it still begs the question of not just itself, is it bad or good, but why is there such a difference in the thought leadership 
um, approach and what actual customers and companies are doing. I want to ask you a question. You talked about the used car salesman. Yeah. Um, this one also resonates for me, not because I'm a used car salesman and hopefully nobody perceives me as a used car salesman, uh, but I do think that there is a very big trap uh, in the use of incentives similar to that of used car salesmen. But I'd like you to explain that for the audience, kind of what you meant by that. And by the way, I'm not challenging you. I think I'm agreeing with you, but I'd like to know kind of what you're referring to. And audience, as you listen to this, do a little thoughtful reflection here. If your own operation, your own organization is kind of doing these things that Jim is about to define for us. Sure. And it's, it's most common in a retail setting where somebody will say, hey, if I don't get all tens, fives, whatever your top score is, but tens, net promoter score, um, you know, I will be fired or my, my location will suffer, um, that the, the bad things will happen to me if you don't give us a top score or to my location. Uh, my favorite, by which I mean least favorite example of this is here in the cities, Abra Auto. So I had a number of years ago, I had an accident and I brought into Abra Auto. And not only did they ask for a top score, they actually gave me a filled out survey so I would know how to answer all the questions. So a 10 for the top score, were there any problems? No, you know, would I use Abra again? Yes, so they actually filled out an entire survey to give to me a blank one and a complete one. So, I, so they would be helpful so I would know how to answer all those questions. And now that's the most extreme I've seen, but certainly, especially in retail, you do get that used car salesperson example, which is I need this top score, please give it to me. Or if there's any reason you cannot give me a top score, please tell me rather than putting on the survey, some benefit of that, which of course totally destroys the validity of the, the survey metric. Yeah. Uh, is the, by the way, is the, incentivizing of employees, um, let me see how to word this correctly. There's two things when I think of incentives when we try to get uh, surveys filled out. One is incentivizing the employees uh, on the scores. The other is incentivizing customers to fill out the, the survey. Both seem to me to be kind of shady and um, not, you know, gener generating non-desirable behaviors. Is that accurate? Well, I definitely so. Um, we did an analysis when I was with Gallup a number of years ago, like eight, 10 years ago, where we looked at Best Buy survey scores. And we looked at what was done for the point of sale, um, which is, again, incentivizing somebody. You get a chance for a billion dollar gift card to Best Buy. I don't know what it was. Um, versus what happened, we went out to a panel. Now, the panel was similar people that people just recently purchased at Best Buy. Uh, but what we found was that the panel showed lower scores than those in the store. Uh, the panel was, uh, um, and so as a result, those big incentives are typically getting people who are going to give high scores because they're hoping to win the card. And there's probably a belief, whether consciously or unconsciously, if, if they draw my name and I give them a bad score, maybe they'll look at the next person. Whereas in the panel, there are people are already giving the money. They're, they're getting it either way. And so there's less of this incentive to give a good score. And so same survey, same more or less population, very different results based on the incentive. Fascinating. Uh, I, I mentioned uh, earlier that I have a client 
several clients, but really this one came up yesterday with a client. We're doing our, our uh, quarterly business review. And one of the things we're reviewing are the NPS scores that mm-hmm. come out of, um, as a result of the interaction that these consumers have with the contact center, which my company operates. And um, I pushed my client just a bit. I said, so tell, tell me about like this whole activity. And she said, well, yeah, you know, my management, they, they, they want us to be looking at NPS scores. Mm-hmm. And I didn't say anything, I was silent. And that's when the, the silence is a little awkward. And I think she said, yeah, you know, not really doing anything with it, but they asked me to, to get the data. So like, we're, we're gonna get the data. I, I stayed silent, a little more awkward silence, right? And then I, she kind of admitted like, yeah, we're not really doing anything with it, but like they're doing it. Okay, so fine. But like that in and of itself is, is kind of like a big wow moment of what are you doing? Why are you doing this? But okay. And then we got to the, 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 the question of um, like where in the process we're asking the question, is it uh, when the interaction with the contact center is complete? It's not. The NPS question comes at the end once the resolution of the process has come. It's kind of gaming the system to make sure that the response is, has a chance of having a lot higher value than at the point of the interaction. The bottom line is it felt very gamed to me. It felt very used sales, used car salesman I felt. Uh, it didn't feel genuine. It didn't feel honest. It didn't feel sincere. It didn't feel like it was capturing um, the true feeling of the consumer at the moment of the interaction. Um, but maybe that's me. And it, it, it's just, like I said, it's so re- it resonates with something that's going on with this particular client. And then the whole topic of incentives of what do you do then to try to get more consumers to actually respond, but get fair accurate, valid data. And I know I'm, I think I'm, I'm throwing a bunch of things at you here, but uh, I'm just sharing, you know, from my experience, like what is going on in my own work life? It just so resonated the, the things that you, you, you shared. Are you seeing these things outside in your, your own clients um, going through these very strange kind of battles and, and interactions and decisions? Oh yeah. And there were a bunch of things there to work with. So let me start first of all with when to survey. And that partly depends on what you're trying to measure. If you're trying to measure the effectiveness of the contact center personnel, then you want it as quick as possible tied into that interaction. If instead you want to measure your organization's ability to resolve the issue, then you likely do want to get it when it's it's resolved, defined as either they've said it's resolved or they've given up. You know, we do obviously journey mapping a lot and we look at the journey is not when the call ends, but when the problem is resolved and verified to be resolved. So again, that's the first part there is what are you looking to measure, the individual or the organization? Both are good answers, but distinct answers. The next thing I would look at with with your situation you have there is, does Net Promoter Score actually predict anything? Now we've talked to a lot of companies that are getting ready for the second book. And we find in some organizations, net promoter score and any kind of results are have no relationship and others where it's very predictive. And so I, I don't know it. It seems to vary a lot, not even just by industry, but by individual organization. But does the net promoter score predict anything at all? And I am not a net promoter score lover or hater. 
I think it, you need to look at your organization and say, here is the outcome we're trying to create. In your situation, probably more loyal customers. Does a net promoter score in the contact center predict that or not? If it does, then hooray, use net promoter score, fantastic. If it doesn't, then we have to look at, are we measuring the wrong measure? Are we doing it the wrong time? Why not? Because if you tell me that the contact center has no relationship to customer loyalty, I'm gonna say you're lying or you're in, misinformed. It may just be that you're measuring the wrong thing. If what we want to accomplish is understanding how good or not good is the customer experience, mm -hmm. is the net promoter score the correct question? In my view, it's not. But if you want to understand truly, did we offer a good customer experience or not? What then is the right question or questions? Well, I don't believe there is an answer to that. Not one answer that fits for everybody. I realize a lot of people are looking for that one question and they love the ability to compare themselves with competitors, other companies that love that, don't care. What I wanna know is, are you creating more loyalty in your customers? And what I found, we, we looked at one company with three brands. And we tried five or six different questions. We had um, ease of doing business, trust in the company, confidence in the company, net promoter score. And we found is that the best driver was different for every brand at the same company. So if the same company has that much variation, certainly across different organizations you do. Now, the next thing I would look at is not so much looking at likely to recommend, which is may or may not be loyalty, but how does the customer feel afterwards? One of the things we found is that a great way of measuring experience is the emotions you create in customers. And so are you creating confidence? Are you creating trust? Do they have trust for you? Those questions seem to me to be more predictive, but again, it varies by brand. Are you referring to then it's, it's a CSAT question? Do you feel, how satisfied are you on a scale of one to 10? Is it that? Or I'm oversimplifying it. it. It varies. No, no, no. I would not normally say that, except back when I was uh, leading customer experience for a health savings account organization, satisfying customers was a really high bar. You're trying to get people satisfied with a health savings account was almost impossible getting them to that level. I'm, I'm overstating a little bit. For that low engagement, low desirability experience, then yeah, satisfaction is a great measurement. Let's look instead at a retail experience. Cabela's, when I interviewed them five, six years ago, I don't know if they still are, they use satisfaction as their measurement. But Cabela's could satisfy everybody and go out of business. They're not about satisfying customers. They're about delighting them. They're about creating great interactions. And so that's why it's different depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, delight could be a great outcome. Compassion International, the client of ours, they are a global nonprofit. They have found that happiness and delight are very predictive of retention, as is the net promoter score. Uh, all three of them, so they combine them into an overall metric. And so it, it varies again by brand. Most organizations have not taken the time to figure out what actually predicts anything. They use a net promoter score or customer satisfaction because other people use it. My message is do the work. Find out what actually predicts the outcomes you're trying to create and then use that as a measurement. Yeah, I, I like that. I think you you allude to that in this recent post that mm -hmm. just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean that you should be doing it or that it's right. Right. Now, there's two other pieces of this as well. 
which are, um, first of all, does anybody know how to drive your top level metric, such as net promoter score? Well, so we've already talked about whether net promoter score is or is not the right metric. Okay, let's set that aside. Let's say it is. Let's say you've gotten a very good idea that is predictive, that when net promoter score is higher, that client stays with you. Fantastic, terrific. So I ask you, Neil, all right, I'm going to incentivize you to improve the net promoter score. Do you know how to do that? And my guess is that your contact center agents don't know how to do that because it's such a high level outcome. And so asking you to change your behavior to create that leaves you guessing what it could be. Now, in that post, I talked about when I was leading experience for the health savings account organization, and when we were doing our first customer satisfaction survey, I asked what, and this was again, 10 years ago. So satisfaction was the current state then. And I asked people what best predicted customer satisfaction. The answers for everybody were different. There was no organizational alignment over what was. Marketing thought it was all about educating consumers on how to use the account. Product thought it was about more features, about additional pricing flexibility, we had all these different thoughts about what it was, but we found out when we did the work was it's, can I log into the website? And that, that was on nobody's radar because we knew how to log into the website all the time. We did it daily. Our customers maybe did it quarterly. And if they forgot their password, this is great. So Neil, you're our client back in those days. You forgot your password. The way to reset it, is to get the 10 digit policy number you were mailed at the beginning of the account. Which I'm good sure luck. you have to let paperwork right there with you. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. And that, good luck. Because we didn't need it, it was what we focused on. And so it's very challenging for most people to know what do I need to do to, saw, to improve the net promoter score? Is the CEB right? In which I need to really focus on reducing effort. Let's make it as simple as possible is CEB is now part of Gartner, is Forrester right that you need to create a wow experience? Now, who's right? There's different ideas. But even if I told you it was one of those, you still may not know how to activate against it. And so the next part of the chain is, do you know the behaviors that it takes to come with a better net promoter score? In that case, so that's the next part. The part after that then is, if I'm going to incentivize, I should not incentivize on the outcome, which as a consumer, you can't measure, or as a, sorry, as a worker, you can't directly impact indirectly. I should instead measure you on the drivers that are applied to your role. So if I have determined that the number one driver of net promoter score is the contact center agent's knowledge, then if I'm going to incentivize, which is the last question, I should incentivize your agent based on their knowledge and the, and the survey score on their knowledge, not on their outcome. When I was with Gallup again, about 10 years ago, we discovered that if um, we measured uh, managers based on their team's employee engagement scores, you got all kinds of gaming. You know, we had one store, we were working with a client that where the store manager put up a whole bunch of balloons with the number five on it the week of the engagement score, because he was trying to game the system to get a bonus. Smart, so, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. I, I don't know where they found a bunch of balloons with fives on them. I'm guessing fifth birthday. I don't know, but the gaming it. But when instead the incentive was based on, did your manager take actions based on last year's survey? 
Well, that was harder to game unless, of course, you did things. If you call that gaming, you're actually doing things and then reminding people of things you did based on the survey. Now, I suppose you can call that gaming. I call that good management. Changing things based on the results and reminding people what you did. And you can't, you know, the five balloons not going to work so well for that. And so yeah. you put it instead based on the behaviors you want. The five balloons, I love this. By the way, I'm not going to let you get off the hook because you mentioned the W word and the D word. We're not going to talk about that today. That's going to be a different session when you come back. You mentioned wow and delight. I'm definitely not letting you get off the, the hook on that one in our next uh, get together, hopefully. Excellent. We're going to come back to that one. Um, uh, here's something, this is kind of the final question I wanted to ask about this. And by the way, I think we could go on for hours about this. I, I love this stuff. Paul and my work, uh, both as contact center leaders, um, he and I also often talk about scores. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that both of our operations uh, look at is quality scores. Mm -hmm. Some of us call them QA scores, quality assurance scores. You know, did did the agent, uh, did the contact center agent greet the customer correctly? Did the contact center agent do this? Was the interaction that, you know, yes, no, yes, no, scoring one to 10, you know, one to five, you know, and you go through this sort of ridiculous QA sheet that we've been, the way we've been doing things for years and years and years and years, and you get a score and you determine the weight. You know, the, the this question has a weight of 60%. The next question has a weight of, 15%, you know, that, that kind of thing. And then you right. get a number at the end. The industry, uh, as far as I can tell, and what I think Paul has done in, a, in an intelligent way, is get away from the score, mm -hmm. because the score is not indicative necessarily of the experience. The score is just a number that comes as a result of a random way you've structured this Excel spreadsheet and spits out a number, but like I said, it's not necessarily indicative of how good or not good the experience was. It just, it's how good or not good it was relative to what I say and think is important. And I, in my operation, I'm trying to get away from that. Paul, a long time ago, I believe, got away from the score and is more kind of yes or no questions to get a sense of, was the experience really good or not? The way Paul and I are looking at this, does it resonate with where we should be going and how we should be structuring things in your view? Oh, yeah. Well, it comes back again. What is your goal? If your goal is to suck less, then you should use <laughs> the scores. Maybe if you if you have a lot of problems, let's say you take over a center and there's just real issues that there's horrible performance and your goal is to suck less, then I would recommend actually that type of approach. Scores enforce mediocrity. And that's what scripts do. They enforce mediocrity. A lot of research out there shows when you but if instead you're looking for excellence, now, the approach you're using is what I recommend, which is more about how do we coach based on what we've observed, what's happening there. And again, if if you have an individual who is way below the baseline, then a score is a good way of saying it's not just me saying this. Look at your scores. But once you have that baseline, if I look at um, Keith Carlson, my best uh, phone rep ever, if I'd have graded him based on the score sheet, he'd been so off the charts, it wouldn't do anything to him. Instead, it was more about how do we tweak what you're doing to bring it up even another level. And so there is a role for scores in terms of trying to stop the bad behaviors, but you're not going to create excellence that way. You're going to instead create excellence by individual coaching based on what's observed, as, as well as we look at the high performers. That's typically where they're hungry as well. They want that feedback so they can do even better. And that's not given through Excel. 
Well stated. I, I like this this last uh, section of ideas you just shared with us. If you want to suck less, I love that you remember the name of your best performing contact center agent. Uh, these these are great great tips. Let, let's do this, um, audience. Once again, you will find on Jim's LinkedIn profile, Jim Tincher, the uh, post that he just recently put out there. Why do bonuses for NPS scores seem wise? Read it. One question, Jim, as we conclude this portion, you you said that you're going to come back next week to read part two of this post. So there is a second part that's coming up. Yes. And it comes back to more specifically about the disconnects about why it goes more detail about why it seems good, which is just to give a quick preview is that it's intuitive to pay people for outcomes. That makes sense. It's intuitive. Most of the challenges, such as, for example, gaming are actually hidden. They aren't directly visible. We'll go more detail on that as well as my recommendation for what to do about it and how to find a, a better outcome. Super. So we're going to look forward to that. We're going to include that when we uh, publish this uh, podcast interview. We'll include links to that uh, audience so you'll be able to just see it, listen to it, and hopefully click right on it. Um, we want to go switch to the final third of, uh, of today's uh, interview. We want to ask you three of the questions that we'd love to ask each of our guests. Um, you shared with us a CX myth that mm -hmm. you would like to bust. If you have it handy, now's the time to kind of break it out. Or if you have it fresh in your head, that's great. What is a CX myth that you would just like to take an axe to and break down and shatter apart? I think you guys do that in Minnesota, right? You, you use axes probably, I don't know, like ice fishing. You, 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 you probably have axes for that kind of stuff. Take that ice, ice axe, throw it, break it. What is that CX myth you're going to bust up? Well, it comes back to an interview I had uh, getting ready for a conference, talking to a CX leader, where I asked, what are you incented against? And she said, loyalty. So great. So repeat customers, additional orders. Oh, no. Net promoter score. Net promoter score is not loyalty. And it's something that I hear regularly in CX spaces is that the two are conflated. They're very different. Now, NPS, as I talked about earlier, may or may not predict loyalty. But what we found, we did an interview, I think mentioned last time here, over 150 hours of interviews, surveyed a couple hundred more people to understand what do great customer experience leaders do. And we focus specifically on B2B because there's a lot of research that B2B is behind B2C. So if it works in B2B, it should definitely work in B2C. And we found the great leaders talk about loyalty defined as loyalty, the behaviors, customers who buy more, come back regularly and change their behaviors to be great, better for both the individual and your business. And so we need to stop talking about loyalty being defined as a score on a survey. If I create a more loyal customer, I'm not defining that as they move their mouse a little bit more to the right and they fill out a survey. I'm defining it as they spend more money with us. They cost less to serve. That's loyalty. I'm going to follow up with this one, and I normally don't do this during this section, but you, you, you just got me here on this one. So is loyalty, I'm hearing three letters, LTV, lifetime value. That's part of loyalty, isn't it? That Well, it comes back to the individual organization. I love LTV. It's It's, well, first of all, LTV is defined so many different ways, from just the basics of how long they stay with us and how much they spend to including costs, other things there. But I'm a big fan of LTV. And these interviews is where I really became 
more um, aware of how popular it is with the leaders. Now, it's not the right metric for everybody. Uh, SAS uses a variant of that called ARR, um, uh, annualized re uh, recurring revenue. Anyway, um, you know, there's there's net dollar loyalty, which is same number, uh, how many customers do we lose versus how much they spend, all variants of it, but you're right. CLV is, or LTV, depending on your preference, are great, a great metric to use because it encapsulates the actual buying behavior. And that's, if I had only one to choose, that would be it. I love it. By the way, I'm gonna add one more parenthesis to this, which is, um, and our friend Jeff Snowball uh, likes to remind us of this all the time, that one thing is CX and the traditional KPIs of CX, but those don't necessarily mean a darn thing unless they're connected to the business results. Right. Pick and choose your business results, ARR, LTV, XYZ, whatever, but it's got to be connected to business results, right? Exactly. I had a post a couple weeks ago where I identified six specific business results, LTV being one of those, that you can look at to help track your business against that, your CX against that. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for allowing me to, or indulging me to offer my comment on top of that. I, 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 I normally don't do that, but I just got really excited. All right, good. Um, the Second set of questions we like to ask our guests as we conclude is, do you have a quote or quotes that you'd like to share that are important for you? Yeah, and so this came out of these interviews we did. It's from Olga Budieri, who is the global customer experience lead at Aramex. And uh, she's based in Jordan. And she talks about um, trying to measure value. And she's really going after the way many do, which is let's use an industry study and say, that's why we should focus on customer experience. And that's why the work matters. What she says is that we've all seen these studies where it says a one point increase in CSAT, customer satisfaction, equals this revenue. But to a commercial officer, a CEO or a CFO, this doesn't sound real. So it doesn't put CX in a credible position. We need to prove this based on our own data. And that's what we find over and over again. Executives don't care that some other companies somewhere else saw better business results from doing things customer experience. They want to know your program, how much money are you making us? How much money are you saving us? And if you can't show it using your own data, then you have no credibility. So just because uh, someone else is doing it, just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that we should be doing it or that it's right. We have to rely on our own that data and our own particular unique scenario and case, right? Exactly. And I, I, you know, the watermark study, if you're familiar with that, I love it from a conceptual standpoint. It's great for a thought leader, which shows that the CX leaders have better stack, stock returns than CX laggards. It's fantastic. Your CEO doesn't care. They want to know what are you doing at your company? Exactly. There's a second quote I think you prepared for us, a, a short, simple one from someone who's oft quoted. Uh, do you have that one handy? Yeah, Peter Drucker. And I, I start sometimes my keynotes with this, which is I'll ask people, what's the purpose of your business? And uh, you know, this is great when I ask grad school students, for example, it's all to make money. But Peter Drucker really got to the heart of it when he said, the purpose of a business is to create and keep a customer which has a lot of implications of CX. First of all, most CX programs don't focus on the creation. That's changing. We need to start thinking about pre-sales as well. But many businesses focus exclusively on the creating customer without thinking about how do we keep him or her. 
which is really what CX is about. That sure is. Not just the acquisition, but keeping them. Agreed. Going to be more perfect. Final question uh, that we'd like to ask our our guests, and I'm really excited about this one. Who are your CX heroes? Because I think you've quickly become my CX hero. Thank you. I'd like to now know who the heroes are of the hero. And so this comes back to the next book I'm writing. And about a year and a half ago, I started going and just spending time with leaders. And there were three of them who are just doing phenomenal work that I, I love to quote. And they're probably sick of me talking about them because I talk about them all the time. Um, and these are the three change makers that were really focusing a lot on the book. Now, Olga's another one, that others out there, but the three who are really, really focusing on are, first of all, Jen Zamora with Dow. Jen leads their global customer and employee experience program. We have um, Nancy Flowers with Hagerty. And um, so she was actually on a podcast, or, sorry, no, webinar we had a few months ago talking about the role of emotions and experience. And she has take, done the work to show that net promoter score um, translates to retention and additional purchases. And she found that happiness predicts net promoter score and the role of emotions on there. And when we talk about emotions, if I didn't talk about Roxy Strominger, I would, she would come after me because she is, she's got grad school work on this. She has created this really predictive system on for them, the role of confidence in the experience and how confidence leads clients to buy more as well as to become less expensive to serve. And so those three, Jen, Nancy, and Roxy, they are my CX heroes. They have taught me so much about what real programs are doing to create real business outcomes. I love this. You know why? Um, I, I have never heard of any of these three before, which is great. I think that's a plus. They are not part of the usual set of people that we typically hear from the six years that are you know, the thought leaders that are in the top 30 global gurus of whatever this, that, and the other. These are people that are actually practitioners. They're doing, they're, they have data, they're generating um, real empirical studies about what the things you are, what, what you've shared with us. For me, that's true value. And those are the real heroes of, of our field. Yeah, I've always been inspired by not what some thought leader says, even at what I'm saying, but what do real people say and what works in the real world? And these are three people who are doing amazing work. Super. Um, there's so many different takeaways. I'm, when we complete today's session, I'm going to go back and listen to it and think through a lot of the things you said. Certainly one resonates for me. You said it very simply, and it's, it's funny, it's tongue in cheek, but how do you suck less? How to actually suck less? And, you know, for, for many of us, that's, that's, a, that's an important challenge. How do we suck less? And, and how do we, what's the plan behind that? And how do we generate data to prove that we actually suck less? I, I, I like that. You, you simplified it. But, um, Jim, I really enjoyed today's session. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I love it. I look forward to the next session. Perfect. So, as a reminder um, to, our, um, to our audience, check out the book. Uh, how hard is it to be your customer using journey mapping to drive customer focused change? Jim is the author of that book. Uh, check out his work on LinkedIn. Remember, he is the founder, CEO, and journey mapper in chief of heart of the customer. And uh, if you've made it this, this far in, in our session today, you've heard it. I think we've asked and I think he's accepted to come back at some uh, future point in time. And we're going to debate lots of other stuff. Uh, especially he used the W word and the D word, delight and wow. We're going to get into that. 
And then we're going to have, we certainly want to ask them about journey mapping because that's, that's something that uh, many of us want to better understand. Um, Jim, once again, thank you so much. Paul, how do we wrap this up? I mean, this is, this is a great session. I think we knew it was going to be good, but um, I, I think it's far exceeded certainly my expectations and just surpassed everything. I'm, I'm very happy. Yeah, me too. I think, Jim, you've been a wonderful guest. And I think I'm a little bit envious of your job title too. Um, I love that. Right. I love that one. I might pinch that one myself. But Jim, thank you so, so much. Really enjoyed your insights, just your passion and how you've explained, um, you know, the benefits or non-benefits of incentivizing. So thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Look forward to next time. Thank you. A final note to the audience. And, and I'm saying this in front of Jim. He, he may... We hang up. You may look at me, give me a, a look of death as I finish saying this, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to do it. Audience, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's important. We'd like to see what your feedback is. And if I had a balloon that said, you know, rate us a five or a ten or whatever it is, I would put that up. But but I know I'm going to get in trouble with our guests who, with, with whom we just concluded today's session. But uh, we are interested in knowing at least uh, how you perceive our work. Uh, Paul and I are not getting incentive and we're not gaming the system. We're not, uh, hopefully not used car salesmen, but it does help us get an idea of kind of how we're doing and, and what you think of our work. And if you certainly have comments, please share them on LinkedIn or, 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 um, or Twitter or wherever you consume this podcast. Jim, did I express that okay? That was okay. It's kind of right down the middle of the road. Was that all right? Well, let me add a little bit to that, which is if you don't give us a 10, then they won't invite me back again. So my career really requires you to give us a top score for this performance. And so I hope you will see fit to give us a top score. Well done. Your incentive check is on the way. Oops. <laughs> I was supposed to say that. Um, Audience, thank you. Jim, once again, thank you. You've been a, been a, been a tremendous guest. Uh, thank you so much. Again, Fireside Chats Without the Fires concluding uh, Friday, July 9th, Season 2, Episode 24. Have a great week, everyone. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, Follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.